Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sheeran and I will be talking today about, well, a lot of people say if they're in recovery or they're abstinent from substances, that this time of year is particularly hard. They feel left out. They feel like they're, they're missing out on festivities, a lot of different things. So what we're going to talk about today is why people prefer intoxication this time of year specifically. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll give you some insights into why you may be feeling that way. We're going to take the mystery out of it. Yes, yes. And why, why people want to get drunk for the holidays. <laughs> okay. We are, oh, hold on. <laughs> we wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people to learn how they can overcome addiction and move on with their lives. And we're not talking about going into recovery. We're not talking about doing all the things that go with the recovery lifestyle. We're talking about leaving this problem behind you forever, finding a solution, and truly moving on. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly in private one-on-one classes. You can do it through Zoom classes, or you can come and join us at our retreat for a few weeks. You can learn all about all of our products at thefreedommodel.org. Okay, Mark, take the mystery out of why people like to be drunk on the holidays. Well, first of all, <laughs> the fact that it's a, uh, is uh, people will say to me, um, I don't know why I do this. You know, I don't know why I keep... Uh, screwing over my family. I don't know why I keep um, drinking myself to oblivion when obviously the consequences are horrendous. Right. And, and, um, and that makes sense. You know, I understand the, the fact that it's wholly irrational from the outside. But what I'm going to do in this podcast is show you that it's um, completely rational Yes. But also, a, bit, a lot of it's based on misinformation. So you're making a rational decision based on the benefits you see in getting high. But whether those benefits are real or not is, right. some, is a different topic entirely. So um, here's what's interesting. Because it's seemingly irrational from the outside, where you have all these consequences and pain, um, people in our society, uh, namely Bill Wilson back in the 30s, came up with this idea and mainstreamed it that it's a disease, that it's something that is involuntary. Because it's got heavy consequences, it's not chosen. And what we're going to talk about is all the reasons why you choose it, that it is chosen. But we're not going to do what Bill Wilson did. He, he said it's not chosen, but at the same time, he said it's a disease rooted in selfishness and self-will run riot and moral reprehensibility. Um, and we're not going to do that either because a lot of times people will think because we say it's not a disease and we say that it's chosen that we automatically go to that other position, right, which is that... you must be a terrible person if you like it. Right. And we don't think that either. That is not what the freedom model is all about at all and it's hard for people to understand at first because that's the dichotomy that's been sold 
either mm-hmm. you're you're diseased and you don't have control over yourself and that's the excuse you use um, or you're just a bad morally reprehensible person that doesn't care about others and you're willing to get high and drunk at the expense of everybody around you now <clears throat> you might get high and drunk at the expense of everybody around you. <laughs> right. But what we're going to propose is there's some very, very important reasons why you do that. And disease ain't one of them. Nope. So you don't, let me start off with you don't have a disease. You don't have a disorder. You don't have compelled use beyond your will. You don't have a uh, willpower problem. Nope. This isn't an issue of power at all. Um, And by the way, this idea of willpower is made up. There is no uh, will well within you, you know, this this sort of thing that depletes and then you fall into these habits. That's, That's not the way the human psyche works. So first we have to start with a logic train. So here here's how we do this. Um you you have free will. You choose this for very personal reasons. You choose to get high and drunk for, for reasons. And we do this during the holidays like we do at any other time if it's important to you. Um, now, uh, so we're going to take the mystery out of it. And we're going to go through chapter four a little bit here in the Freedom Model for Addictions because we cover this. And the name of chapter four, sorry, you're going to hear the pages turn, um, is why do I keep doing this? Why do I prefer it? Just the name itself uh, takes disease. You don't prefer a disease. Nobody prefers disease, no. <laughs> right? It's something that's that's beyond your your free will. It's beyond your power of choice. <clears throat> it's beyond that. So that's what a disease is. Think about cancer. Or, you know any any of the diseases. It has pathology. It it's based in some sort of uh, abnormal growth of cells. Some sort of um, pathology, a virus, something that's beyond your control that you need an external means to stop, whether it's chemotherapy, vaccination, whatever it might be. So you have an external thing to the body that's attacking it or the body is attacking itself and therefore you need an external thing to come in and battle that. By framing an addiction or a habit, a substance use habit in that same way, we create an unnecessary battle. There is no battle within you. You prefer it because it has benefits to you personally. And we've talked about this over and over in many of the podcasts, but um, you learn to to hide this fact. You learn to talk about it as if you're not choosing it because society doesn't agree with being shit-faced all the time, (laughs) right? No, the people that don't do that don't agree with it. Right. And so you learn very young, if you're a drinker like (laughs) I was at 12 years old, um, you learn very young not to... Uh, take responsibility for the fact that you really, really enjoy this this habit. <laughs> um, so, but there's there's things behind the habit, right? Now, let's let's hit that one first. A lot of people drink and drug, and it becomes habitual. They don't question it, and then they have sort of uh, habitual thoughts about getting drunk and high, and that becomes just something that they do. They don't question it, and um, we're habit forming creatures. So habit plays a big role in, in somebody who's a consistent drug taker or, or drinker. And would it be any different on Christmas or New Year's? And actually, you might have all kinds of customs in your family that are wrapped around 
drinking right. and drugging. Yep. You know, I, I watched my family, uh, certain members, that was something that was important to them. And most every family out there has some sort of uh, drinking or drugging custom that they have in their family. So habit plays a role in, in, this, in this thing. Um, and so let's go through. Uh, Michelle, you can jump in at any point. All right. Well, you have the book, so you can read it, and then I'll, I'll give some scenarios. Okay. We can have some fun with this. Okay. <laughs> so it's Christmas time, and for the listeners out there, does pleasure the high? That's number one on our list in the book, um, that there's a high. Now, I'm not going to challenge that because there is actually a physical tickle in there the body that, that, that happens with drugs, uh, substances, whether it's drinking or whatever. And I would dare say that that's one of the only actual benefits or actual things that are objectively true about taking substances heavily, and that is that there is a tickle to the body of some kind. Right. Now, most people... The majority of people don't find being hammered out of their minds pleasurable. Yeah, there are a lot of people that don't find the high from various substances pleasurable at all. I, I don't like how opiates make me feel anymore. I did when I was younger. I don't now. Um, you know, when I've had to take them for medical reasons, um, I, I usually stop taking them before I'm supposed to because I don't like it. Right. You know, so the idea that all stuff that all people that the high is we, we talk about it in chapter 20 the idea that the high is pleasurable for every single person is wrong right it's it isn't myth. for most people right it isn't for most people when they when they took 150 people who had never had an opiate and they injected them with morphine only three out of the 150 right. asked to be re-injected. That goes right against the narrative that drugs are inherently addictive. Exactly. Um, and it, that's just bullshit. It's nonsense. And just because you found it pleasurable yesterday doesn't mean you have to find it pleasurable today. That, and that falls into the habit category, right? Yep. So, So just because for 20 previous Christmases and New Year's you got hammered and fell all over the Christmas tree and behaved that way does not mean you have to today. Right. Um, people change, their preferences change. And we know from the, the largest studies that have been done on addiction throughout society that the chances are as you grow older, you're going to grow out of this. Yep. You're going to age out of the habit. So habit only plays a, a certain portion of the role. Um, so the pleasure, the high, it's subjective. Some people like it, but it changes in time and it doesn't necessarily have to be a habit. So you can change it. Right. Um, and so we go into... And there, and, and there are lots of other ways to, to feel pleasure than just being high or drunk. Well, especially during Christmas, because it's such a festive time, you can make Christmas magical. Because yes. it, it really is one of the only times in our culture where people are allowed, as a collective, to really believe in festivity magic yes you know and it's fun there's all kind you know the whole fable of of santa and the whole religious angle for the christians all this stuff is is pretty pretty interesting stuff and uh yeah so you don't have to be hammered to make the magic nope um so we get into altered states of consciousness now mind you part of what the reason we're doing this is to show you that it's not um ridiculous that you would want to get drunk, not right? At all. It's not uh you're not being compelled by an outside force. 
if you like the pleasure of drugs, that's a completely normal thing to want. People yeah. like pleasure. Yep. They also like altered states of consciousness. And this, this goes right to, and this is an example we use in the book, um, when you're on the playground in second grade and you spin and you have somebody spinning and you spin, 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 then you stop and you fall all over the place. You lay down on the ground and then the ground feels tippy. <laughs> yeah, it's spinning. I loved that. <laughs> Every kid just about does, yep. right? That's an altered state of consciousness. So this idea that, um, that as animals um, looking for an altered state of consciousness is weird is not true. I mean, look at even the, the elephants... In Africa, the wild elephants will walk past um, thousands of, of these fig trees, these acacia trees and stuff, and go to the one that's fermenting. <laughs> and, then, and then they eat the whole damn tree and they fall around and sleep and get drunk. <laughs> it's hilarious to watch. Um, so they, they literally will walk 20, 30 miles past all the, these food sources just to get to the one tree that they learned, you know, maybe 20 years ago would ferment first. Um, so this idea of altered states of consciousness, this goes back thousands of years um, and is just a part of being a human being. Uh, talk to any race car driver, talk to any high-level athlete, talk to a marathon runner, talk to, I mean, there's, there's just example after example. Talk to an artist who's a really great artist that does it all day. They'll talk about an altered state of consciousness and focus. Um, so this idea that we should... Um, that that we're compelled to use uh, kind of goes away when you realize, no, I, I do want, I choose an altered state of consciousness. Right. And I, I want to just interject quick about, you know, a lot of people get very nervous when we start talking about the, these reasons. And it's there's a reason that's specifically avoided in treatment circles oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. recovery um, because, because a lot of people like, you're gonna make me want to do it. It's like no, we have to, we have to talk about these things head on. Um, you have to figure out what you like about it in order to change it, um, and so that's why we, we talk about this. Yeah, and some of them, some of these, if you notice the two we've hit so far, altered states of consciousness and the high, are are really based in the physical being. Yeah, you know, the spinning, the the consciousness is slowed down with booze. Right, the neural functioning is slowed down with booze, with cocaine it's sped up, whatever. Um, none of this is talking about it, it goes in and changes your world. No. We're not being ridiculous, but no. here's the deal. When you're getting drunk and high all the time, you do get a bit ridiculous about it. You do overblow it. Yeah. And you say, this is the only thing I want, and I need it. This makes me feel better than anything else ever has in the history of my life. Now, and and, which I'm, is probably not true. I, I'm telling you, if you believe that, Go try some things that are extreme, like you can rent out a NASCAR, a car that they have on the NASCAR circuit, and at least you used to be able to like 10, 15 years ago, and drive the damn thing. It's, it's downright terrifying and wicked fun. Um, so, so, and it alters your state of consciousness and speed and time and space. Um, and it's very exciting. So, uh, you know, this idea that you that drugs and alcohol are the only way to be happy are, are absolutely not true. Um, social factors. So social factors plays big into the... Oh, it into does. The, Especially the holiday season. Yeah. So if you believe that the only way you can fit in with your family is through boozing, well, it doesn't take a disease to make you drink. 
No, not at all. It doesn't take a disease to make you drug if that's the custom in your family, right? So uh, the desire to fit in and be a part of something is, is a big thing. Now, uh, we're going to challenge that. Mm -hmm. Part of what we're going to do here is we're going to challenge it. And that is that you don't need it to fit in. No. You've chosen that way to conform, maybe in your social group. Um, you don't have to be with your family if, it, if it's really uncomfortable. Let's say you come from an Irish family where drinking is absolutely the norm. It's kind of rare, actually. Um, it's usually not the norm in every family. But if everybody drinks and you're really uncomfortable and you want to move on from a drinking problem, then don't go home. You know, you don't right. have you, to you, be there. You don't have to do anything you don't really want to do. I want to talk about this a little bit because um, when I, I, I went 20 years abstinent, so 20 Christmases, and I worked for this company uh, in the first few years I was abstinent that were, they had some great parties. You know, they were a company that, that worked hard and played hard. And, and I went to at least six events over the course of the 45 years I worked for them, where it was expected that everybody was going to get drunk. And, um, I mean, some of these events, they actually put us up in a place. And and I had the... And I worked in this, like, small office, and, you know, everybody was kind of up each other's butts, so to speak. And, and there was a lot of pressure, even then, um for me to want to fit in and conform. And for me, I just would literally get, because I can be loud and funny without drinking. And so I would, and if I'm in an, a situation that's loud and funny, I just go along. And if I would get, I would get a, a seltzer with cranberry and lime. Mm, and yep. I would sip on that all night long and everybody just assumed I was drinking, Yeah, you know? So, yeah. so oh, that's a great tip right there. Yeah. It, it was just like, nobody really had to know. It was nobody's business whether I was going to drink or not. And, and if I they, think, and if they ask you, you just say I'm drinking vodka and cranberry juice. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's, it's so okay nobody really asked. Nobody really, well, I did have one. My boss was like, Ooh, are we drinking tonight? Cause nobody really knew that I was an AA or anything like that. And I'm like, wouldn't you like to know? Let it go. You yeah. know, I mean, like people assumed that I was because I can be kind of loud and funny. So I think people just assumed that I was. And so it, it really doesn't, it, you, you don't go into situations that if you don't want to be with people, but if you want to be with people and you want to be social, um, there are a million ways to do that that don't involve getting drunk. Right. You know, right. and I definitely, if I'm in a situation where I'm not comfortable with the group of people that I'm in, or I won't drink at all. Um, I knew a guy, a guy who uh, did a lot of business in Russia, and almost all the business deals on the executive level are done over a bottle of vodka. Yeah. And it's almost a test. That culture has uh, the litmus test of whether you're trustworthy is if you drink. So it's really worked into their culture. Yeah. And um, he asked me, he was terrified. He was literally terrified. He was at the retreat and he said, I, I'm not going to be able to do I said, you'll do business. This is what you're going to do. You're going to bring your own bottle. Yes. And, and, and he, he was done with drinking. He was done, but he didn't want to lose all the business contacts because he had three businesses in Russia. So uh, that's what he did. He contacted me a year later. He said, that worked like a charm. Because vodka is clear. <laughs> clear. So he had just had water. <laughs> and, uh, and then... Um, 
you know, he figured out ways to, to manipulate it so that uh, he could drink out of his own container. And, and there were a few times where he did, he did have to take a shot, um, but he framed it in his mind. He said, this is a necessity. This isn't me drinking for pleasure. Exactly. You know, and I'm done with that. Right. Yeah. So it was interesting. So these, these things can all work. Um, so that takes care of that one. All right, so let's talk about the power to relieve psychological pain. Mm. Now, if alcohol and drugs actually re- relieved psych- psychological pain... Um, everybody do it. Everybody do it. Now, it, if you believe that it does do that, you'll feel a need for it because psychological pain is one of the parts of the grind of human life. Yeah. And uh, whether it's depression, trauma, anxiety, whatever it might be, those are the big ones. And it's especially big this time of year because people pile on all this extra stress and added anxiety for themselves during the holidays. Because they're in with family, maybe mm-hmm. family that they've grown away from and they don't really like being around them as much right. as, as they are in, in the concentrated amounts during the holidays. So so let's say, and, and maybe a lot of old habits come creeping right, out and people, right. the old um, sort of childhood uh, roles people play, which is, can be very painful because mm-hmm. you've grown out of them. Um, so, so here's the deal, though. First of all, if you believe it relieves psychological pain, it's a very logical choice to drink. Yes. And drug. Of course. So, again... That pushes the idea that it's some sort of compelled use into, now it's into reasoned use. I'm reasoning that my psychological pain will be washed away by self-medicating. Now, it's not true, but that's not the point of this podcast. You can listen to the other podcasts where we challenge that benefit deeply and pick it apart and show you that alcohol and drugs and or drugs cannot actually relieve any psychological pain not even temporarily now that's really hard for the listener if this is your first podcast that is a really difficult concept so i advise you to get the book it'll go into great detail in chapter 17 through 20 about about what i'm saying here i'm just going to give you one tip though if you're questioning it i want you to go back for over the past 30 days and think of every time you've been drunk and how many times you were angry upset um, something happened while you were intoxicated crying. that you were, you know, that brought you to the point where you were crying, where you were yelling at somebody. My guess is you can find at least one instance in the last 30 days if you're a heavy drinker, and, probably multiple instances. And that proves immediately that pharmacologically alcohol, which is, which is a physical substance, it's not, it doesn't jump into the realm of the metaphysical mind mm-hmm. and your emotions. It can't do that doesn't have the capacity to do that because it's physical. Um, so this pharmacological action of alcohol or, or, and or drugs can't change the content of your thoughts. What it can do is slow down neural functioning, speed it up, tickle the body, give you a physical sensation, which you might uh, interpret right. as relieving your psychological pain. So we do it. It's a misattribution. So we, so, but that's... Take a look at some of our other podcasts or get a copy of the book because yes. that, now we're getting into the details of it. But the point is, on its face, if you believe that it does relieve psychological pain, then that would be a logical reason to use. And we don't right. need a disease or a disorder to explain that away. Okay. Um, the power to lower inhibitions. This is a huge mm. one during Christmas. 
let's say that you have, in my case, I have um, brothers and sisters and parents that I didn't necessarily get along with. And let's say that I have a relationship with some of my siblings that's contentious and all that goes all the way back to childhood. It'd be easy for me to get shit face drunk and tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> right? So, yes. so, so I was, I, I'm just being a little crass there, but I'm sure there are plenty of people in the audience that understand what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> all yep. right. So, um, Booze, if you're a believer in its power to lower inhibitions, by the way, it can't do it, that. It can't do That's that. all you. Yeah. Um, that's the way you interpret a physical tickling of the body. But again, chapters 17 through 20, you should read them. Um, but if you believe in the power to lower inhibitions, if that's a belief that you're holding on to, it makes booze very and drugs very valuable to you. And it would be a reason why you would want to drink and drug during the holidays. Now... Let's, let's talk about the fact that maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe the, the relationship with your siblings is bad enough or your parents is bad enough to find some other place to spend Christmas. Right. Or simply do what I did, which is I just stopped talking. I know that sounds crazy, but I just, I, if people talked to me, I talked. If they didn't, I didn't. I never set myself up to be in front of the Mack truck coming at me. So I just simply... I set myself up a number of times, but I don't anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have. And and in my case, I was such a sorry sap. I was the youngest of 12, so they would do things that they didn't even know hurt me. And I was the self-pitying kid in the corner, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I just stopped doing that to myself. And uh, eventually I stopped... I think it's so much better. Uh Uh-huh. Life gets so much better when yeah, you stop does. that stuff. It does. When you let go of the pain of childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you do that, you don't need booze or drugs anymore to lower your inhibitions. Now, again, it, it doesn't have the power to do that. You, that's you feeling a physical sensation and then you allowing yourself based on the cultural belief that you can behave yes. differently while drunk We or have high. a whole chapter that debunks that and it's chapter 19. Yep. Um, and then, of course, there's sleep. Let's say that you're, uh, it's Christmas time and or getting close to Christmas time. You're getting anxious as hell. You're having you're, trouble going to sleep at night or staying asleep. Would it be uh, if uh, booze and drugs could help with sleep, um, then it would make sense that that's something you would choose. Again, we're in the realm of choice here. Uh, it can't, alcohol can't, and now you can pass out. You know, you can pass yeah, out, you but you're, out. you're not really sleeping. And that's why you feel like a big bag of shit the next day. Yeah. Um, and sometimes why, if you go on a bender like I used to, um, that's why after about a month of that, you sleep for two days. Yeah. <laughs> because you're literally going out of your mind. So uh, the There sleep... are a lot of things that work a whole lot better than alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Uh, to, to help people to sleep or get to sleep at night. Um, and, and most of them don't involve medications at all. I mean, just... You know, going for a 30-minute walk during the daytime will help you to sleep at night. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I know that involves putting on sneakers. <laughs> and if you're up here, a uh, heavy winter coat. Um, but, but you know, there's there's a lot of, a lot of uh, supplements you can take and things. You just kind of have to talk to your doctor and experiment with things. Or, or if you're a person like me, I haven't slept well my whole life. I haven't either. <laughs> you know, and, and I've just had to accept that and I'm totally okay with it. I just don't care because it's weird because I used to, when I was just getting my life turned around, 
I would freak out about not sleeping. Me too. And I was, I was lucky I had Jerry as a mentor and he goes, Mark, here's the deal. Some people just don't sleep good and you have an active mind. Um, and he said, do you know why nobody dies from lack of sleep? I said, why? He goes, because they fall asleep first. Because eventually, that I didn't have I to like, come oh, to yeah. terms with that. I, I learned to embrace my light, the fact that I sleep lightly, I wake up easily. I embraced it when my children were little. Because when your kids are little, you don't get to sleep anyways. And I was always up and ready to do what I needed to do. So, and I, it's, yeah. I mean, if I go a few days and I haven't slept well, I definitely have to nap. Um, and I will nap, but I sleep in like only a couple hour blocks. Yeah, me you too. Know? Me too. So, and that's been that way. It's incredibly rare that I sleep the night through. Incredibly oh, yeah. Rare. No, that almost never, never happens. Um, but I can tell you this. If I were to booze every night to try and get to sleep, I did that. I did that for six years of my life, and I was a mess. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't really work for that. But again... If you believe you need it, you need it, you'll do it. Um, ease and reliability. There is a certain, if you do a drug long enough, it becomes, and this goes right along with habit. And these yes. two are together in the book here, actually. Um, you know what it's going to do. You become an expert at it. And it's just like any other habit that you develop. It becomes easy and reliable. Uh, now, when I say reliable, I didn't say effective to solving human problems because booze and drugs don't have a mind of their own. They don't have problem-solving capability. That's all you. Mm-hmm. If you're using it as a tool, it becomes very valuable for that. Um, but this chapter would go through and basically chop down the idea that it's a tool at all, that it's all you in the end that's making these decisions. Um so let me just look here because I want to get it back to the Christmas part. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, if you drink a lot and drug a lot, your family will have lowered expectations because mm. you've taken on the addict alcoholic role. Now, I got to tell you, th- mm. that can be a strong, powerful reason to be shit-faced at the house, carrying on because they expect it out of you. You don't care anymore because you've gone to three rehabs. They expect that you're going to tear down the Christmas tree and make an ass of yourself. And you play that role well. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying that we all have roles that we decide to play. And right. um, and here's the good news. You can let go of that role. You can, you can simply say, no, I don't accept that anymore. And I don't have lowered expectations of myself and I don't want you to have lowered expectations of me I want you to treat me not as the fragile addict alcoholic I want you to treat me like an adult and because that's what I am and that's what I'm choosing to be today Um, and if they're not willing to do that if everybody's walking on eggshells around you not trying not to drink or they're apologizing for drinking around you all that's going to do is make you pissed off but here's the deal you're going to have to deal with that because maybe you've put yourself in that position. So um, I think that uh, the main point here is to let go of the addict alcoholic role and start progressing from that point. Yeah, if you've got if you've taken on that identity as being the family screw-up um, and you get to the holidays and everybody just kind of waits for you to you know implode, so to speak, um, I can see that there are... 
there are certain benefits for, for taking on that role. And so maybe it's time to take a look at, at that as well. If that is, you know, if they, you can be the family screw up and, and kind of the family black sheep. I, I stayed the family black sheep without drinking for the last 30 years. So yeah, every family needs a scapegoat. It's just whether you want to participate or not. (laughs) Do you want to participate in that role or not? You know, I, I, I chose, I choose not to nowadays. So, and um, and I'm going to tell you, let me give you a little tip here. Being the black sheep, because every family needs somebody to pile on the guilt and the misery. Yeah. And project it downward or upward or whichever way. (laughs) Um, you don't have to, you, you, you're not going to grow out of that role. No, for, apparently not. <laughs> you know, now, sometimes a family will allow that to happen, right? That maybe maybe they grow up and they become kinder and more self-aware and they realize that they were jerks or whatever. Um, but a lot of times those roles become cemented in people's minds. So if that's the case in your family, you don't have to go home and put up with it. No, no. It's, you it don't, really you don't is have to okay. sign up for... For abuse. For abuse, for people to, to not accept you for who you are, um, to, to, you know, pile guilt on you and, and shame and all kinds of things. I mean, I, I had to listen to, you know, for 20 years I was still hearing stories of my antics when I was, a, you know, a heavy drinker. And, and, you know, eventually I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. I, I literally have not been that person for 20 years and um and I, I I'm I'm over it I wish you I'd be nice if you could get over it too but some people some people like to hold on to those things and and that's on them that's uh, yeah, not they, on they're you. deflecting their own insecurities yeah. and and mistakes onto other people if you're one of those people that that they're piling on maybe the answer is to stay away I know in my case, it was really healthy for me to stay away. Not because my family was malicious. In a lot of cases, that was the malicious yeah, part. Right. The, the, the violent part, all that was gone in childhood as we became adults. That, that kind of went away. But for me, I never felt, I felt an intense loneliness around my family. Um, I didn't feel a part of it. And that's just the way it was. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to feel that way. So I kind of avoided um, a lot of that. And moved on with my life and built my own family. Uh, made that investment where I could be loved and to love others. Yeah, and I think I think for me, I still felt I still hung on to some shame and some guilt, and and I played that role too. Like yeah. when I that I think that happens. Like you could have changed your life for many years, but when you get back with everybody together, all of a sudden you're the screw up again because you put that on yourself and kind of project that outward and so so when you're doing that like everybody else it's like it's it's just like any old habit relationships develop habits too yeah and so so it's not that my family is is mean to me or anything like that it's it's a two-way street definitely yeah it is you accept the role Mm -hmm. and i think the hard part for me during the holidays not so much now i'm 50 years old so it doesn't happen anymore but I would feel like the little kid again. Yeah. And so so it was hard for me to let that go. I, it was my own insecurities in a lot of cases that I was bringing 
to that festive That's occasion. That's exactly right. And then, and then they would say something, and then I would feel that way. Then they'd get nervous, and there's this weird thing that would happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and nobody liked it really. Yeah. You know, like I said, the violence and that sort of thing was gone. That was all childhood adolescent crap. Um, okay, so uh, so the the point of that is the the lowered expectations of the addict alcoholic role can be a reason to get high and drunk, and it doesn't take a disease to see that um, there's some value in having lowered expectations. Yes, there's a value in taking on that role and saying, "Hey, well, fuck it, I'm diseased. Hey, that's yeah. the way it is." Uh, uh, yeah, you know. Um, okay, so here's another reason that um, it may. The people, remember, we're doing reasons that people have a strong preference for intoxication. We're, we're focusing specifically on this time of year. Um, you might be unaware of better options. Right. You might think that everything that we've been discussing, um, there isn't anything out there that would be better. And during the holidays, maybe the family situation is so bad that being drunk in your mind makes it a little better, even though it turns into a shit show, right? Um <laughs> But, but it may be that you're unaware that there's better options, not only with the drinking thing, but let's say with the Christmas thing. Maybe, maybe there's some place else you could go and volunteer and right. do something different for Christmas. Yeah, do something creative, something, you know, maybe change. Sometimes we get stuck in traditions and we don't realize that the traditions aren't that great anymore. Yeah, they, we, they're not working for you anymore. Right, like a lot of times, like drinking heavily as a habit. And you, you, you're going down the road, you're drinking, drinking every day or whatever your habit is. And then and then one day it hits you that this isn't all that great anymore. And that can happen with your family traditions too. Sometimes I can remember we had a, a tradition of going to my in-laws for Christmas. And we had one year where we got a huge snowstorm. And it was like from Christmas Eve into Christmas Day. And it snowed like a foot and a half of snow and... The roads were terrible. I remember that. And we chose to stay home for Christmas Day, and it was wonderful. <laughs> like, I mean, we, we resumed the tradition the following year, but the break was really nice. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of times in life um, something will streak out of nowhere, change your life. Sometimes it's traumatic and bad, yeah. but there's a lot more, if you look at it, where life just kind of switches and you go, you know what, I don't like that anymore. I don't like the old way of doing things. I'm going to go try something new. Allow yourself that freedom. Especially this year. I mean, this year, anybody can use the COVID excuse. Right? I know. <laughs> God knows businesses do. Um, you know, I no, mean, nobody's performing in America yeah. today. We, so if you, want be, to have a, if you want to be creative, have a change your tradition this year, just be like, you know. Maybe maybe we should do something this different this year. We'll get you next year. Yeah. We don't have to buy presents. We don't have to show up. We can be socialists. <laughs> <laughs> we can do whatever. <clears throat> okay. <coughs> Goodness. So, uh, <clears throat> so low self-esteem disqualifies other options. Um, I want to skip that one for now uh, just because we're running up against the time here. Uh let me go here. Okay, the battle for independence. A lot of times people yeah. people will drink and or drug because uh, they don't have control in their lives, in their relationships. They don't have control in the things that they do. They don't have control in their career. They feel trapped. And then they have this activity, this, this activity of drinking or drugging. And everybody around them 
disapproves. Now, I know of, I've worked with drinkers and, and drug takers for 31 years, and every Christmas I'm with them, you know, and, um, and we talk about this battle for independence. I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, you know, they come in to the retreat, let's say about Jan first week of January, and the house fills up, our retreat fills up, mm -hmm. always does, mm -hmm. and they say, you know, everybody was on my case about the drinking, so you know what I did? <laughs> I hit it heavy, and I wrecked the whole Christmas and New Year's, and now I have a DWI, I had an arrest, yes. I, you know, and it all came down to this, uh, everybody, this idea, you're not the boss of me. Yeah. Everybody was, the whole family was like, uh, Jack's not going to drink this year. Jack, you got to calm down. You got to not drink and not wreck Christmas. Meanwhile, Jack said, nope. I'm, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, not only am I going to do it, now I'm going to hit it really hard just to shove it in your face. Yeah, it, it becomes, it makes it that much more attractive because because of that, you know, it, what is the word I usually use when I'm talking to people? Exerting your independence. Now, there are, a ton of ways to do that that don't involve substances. Um, yeah. but, but a lot of times people <clears throat> get enamored of this substance anyways. And so this becomes just another reason to do it. Yeah. And it becomes the more the, more the family pushes, mm -hmm. the family, spouse, whatever it is. And, and here, here's the deal. The family may have justifiable reasons to, okay? Sure. This person may be a nightmare to be around when they're drinking and drugging um, and may have caused tremendous problems. So I'm not judging that. But uh, the point is, he, here's the phenomenon that's created, though. The more sober people push and coerce and power drive this idea yes. that you have to abstain, you have to so-and-so, um, the more you create a deviance around the drug, the more you place it on a pedestal as a powerful agent. Yep. So what you're doing is you're creating the mythology. You're fortifying this mythology by creating this idea that this drug creates mayhem. And, and then the person marries that idea in their mind and they go, oh yeah, I'm going to create a whole mm -hmm. bunch of hell. Um, so when we, when we give drugs powers in all these various ways that we do in our culture, we create deviance. We, and, and it's interesting because I can't tell you how many guys I've talked to and women who say, I didn't really start drinking heavy until I was 48, 49, 50, 42, whatever it might be. And I, I said, tell me what happened. And they said, well, I got a, I got a little spot in the garage and I started drinking at night. I'd sneak out there and I'd start drinking. And then it became this weird ritual. Now, when they say that, that's when you create deviance. You create something that is otherwise completely normal mm -hmm. and you make it into something it is extremely special. Yes. And deviant and devious. So you have to become devious. And then the drug, you're placing it on an altar. It becomes something that's really, really powerful in your life. And when you do that, um, it's, it's, it's not good because what you're doing is you're building the drug up. Meanwhile, the family keeps pushing. They double down, which creates greater deviance. Now the person's having to leave their house because their stash in the garage has been found out. So now they have to leave and go to hotels, <clears throat> right? Then now the person's binging at hotels 
Forget about Christmas. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not even around anymore. They're binging now for weeks in a hotel somewhere, and they're living in a fantasy world in the hotel, and they're falling apart and they're dying. You know, mm-hmm. um, all of this starts with the person having a preference for the drug for all the various reasons that we've been talking to, which are rational, although most of them aren't true, objectively true. Right. Okay. Um, but if they were true, it'd be a rational reason. And then, then all the people around them, not all, I'm talking absolutes, but the people around them are disagreeing and creating deviance. And it's just this, re- I call it hell stew. You're just stirring the pot with all these factors. So... The reason we go through this in chapter four is to be able to list out the truth of this is what I think it does for me. Right. Then we spend the rest of the book, is it true? And would it be better to do less of it if it isn't true? If you get rid of the benefit, all these benefits that people see in getting high and drunk, and then it's very easy to let it go. And I want to make sure that we end with that, that you can change a drinking and drug habit with the truth. You can figure out that there's no need for deviance. You can drink and drug. You can assert your independence in various ways. You can get rid of stress in different ways. You can get rid of anxiety in different ways. You can you you can get yourself your sleep. Yeah, you, you you can go to detox and take care of the withdrawal issue. I'm just going to go through. You can being unaware of better options. Yes, you can find better options. There's an unlimited, That's completely right. varied universe of better options. Um, you can think better of yourself and not live the life of lowered expectations and live the addict and alcoholic role. You can let that go. Um, it doesn't have to crowd out other options. You can choose new options. Um, it doesn't have to be a habit. You can break the habit. That habit is in the mind. In the body, the part that's a habit in the body is withdrawal. That's taken care of in detox. Um, it's, it's really not that reliable because you've been falling apart. And so there's all these things that you can change. And, um, and certainly this Christmas, you do not have to wreck Christmas for yourself or anybody around you. You can move on from this. We go over all these, these little pieces because the devil's in the details. And um, so, so, yeah, I hope you have a great, great Christmas. I hope you... Uh, take on the challenge for yourself to think differently. If you're struggling with all these things that we've mentioned or some of them, get our book, read it before Christmas. Yeah. That's a, the present you can give yourself. And uh, go on to Amazon. It's 20 bucks. Give yourself a present and and move on with your life. And don't become the role that everybody expects out of you. Right. Right. This can be the year... That you decide, you know what, I'm going to do something different. Yeah, yeah. And listen, if you need help with this stuff, we had a, we covered a lot of territory and it may seem confusing. Um, there's a lot that we tried to unpack in, in one thing. Um, if you need help with this stuff, if you read the book and you go, wow, this really hits me, this makes sense, but I really want to be able to talk it out with somebody, you can have classes with me and or Michelle. Um Usually the women pick Michelle, the men stick with me, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way? Yeah, it doesn't have to be. Um, But but you can have Freedom Model private instruction classes. We usually have 12 classes to get through the entire book, um, and that's 3,700 bucks. Everybody always asks, well, what's the price? Nobody in treatment puts prices on their their stuff. It's 3,700 bucks. I'm not afraid to say that because um, it's the best present you're going to give yourself.
And we don't limit it to 12 classes. I mean, it takes some people I've worked with 15 classes mm-hmm. to get through. When you when you buy that, you're buying the whole program. The enchilada. Yep, yep. And we will work at your pace. Um, so thank you everyone so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior and you want help breaking free or and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or you can find us on our website at thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net. Soberforever.net provides details Detailed information about our residential retreat, which is the St. Jude retreat, which is open. Let me talk about that for a second. Yeah. So some people that are listening today are in a world of hurt. And that's where I was uh, 31 years ago in a very, very, very bad place. And you may need to get away. That yeah. We have very limited space here. We With COVID, we only have uh, two to three beds at any given point. Um, and during the Christmas time, right afterwards, we fill up and we have a waiting list. So now is a good time to call if you need to get away. Um, you will have your own bedroom and bathroom. Yeah. That's what we're doing. That's why we've reduced our capacity to three so that we can make sure that each person gets their own bedroom and their own bathroom. That's right. So, um, so if you need that, call 888-424-2626. You'll get a hold of either uh, Michelle or I personally. Yes. All right, go to thefreedommodel.org. That's our hub. It has a ton of free resources and information, including some videos, these podcasts, our free ebooks, and information about our at home private instruction program as well, which Mark talked about, which we usually do over Zoom. Um, you can get digital editions of our full program books, The Freedom Model for Addictions and The Freedom Model for the Family. Um, you Get those digital downloads free. Enter coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout to get either of those books. Paperback and Kindle versions are also available for purchase on Amazon or one of the other online retailers. And if you have questions and you want to reach us, remember 888-424-2626 will get you to Mark or I. Or you can email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and subscribe to our Freedom Model YouTube channel. We also have three Facebook groups. We started for people to discuss their experiences breaking free from addiction and perpetual recovery. They are the Freedom Model Group, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. From everyone here at the Freedom Model, we wish you a happy Hanukkah, a Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. And then one last thing, if you oh, need, yeah. if you, <laughs> if you need <laughs> detox, because we're not the detox business, but we, we work with detoxes across the country. Um, the one we advocate for the for the West Coast is Gallus Detox. That's G-A-L-L-U-S Detox.com, GallusDetox.com. And they have a place in Denver and uh, Denver, Colorado, and one in Scottsdale, Arizona, and they're awesome. I've worked with uh uh, Pat Gallus is the doctor and the founder, and he's a good friend of mine. But uh, but most importantly, it's great medicine. They do yes. a good job. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.